Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the June 2018 podcast. Great to be back with you. Now, of course, last month was a special one. It was a podcast gold edition in which I put together a compilation of some of my favourite topics that I'd had a chat about over the previous year's worth of podcasts. And I hope that uh, if you listen to that, you enjoyed it. It's funny, even if you're a regular listener, I expect there are some of the topics you thought, oh, funny, I don't remember hearing that the first time. So um, hopefully it's always of interest, even if you have heard it before, to remind you of some of the, uh, the points of view that I've expressed and perhaps gets you thinking about them yourself again. But now we're back with the June one, which is all fresh content, of course. And I thought I'd start just by telling you a little bit about my USA uh, lecture tour, which took place at the end of April. It was six lectures in eight days spread out over six different states. I actually drove 1600 miles in the eight days and uh, that was quite a lot. Although I have to say that I do find driving on American roads more relaxing than it is driving on our roads. However, there were one or two things that happened on my tour on the way around, which I thought I'd mention to you. The first thing, which was a big surprise, was I arrived on a, on a Monday night and stayed overnight in a hotel, picked up my car at lunchtime on the second day on the Tuesday and overnight there'd been a, a quite a heavy snowfall and in fact it was still snowing when I pulled back the curtains in the morning in the hotel and I thought oh I didn't expect that and I was, I was asking people local people I said well you were working in the hotel I said is this normal middle of April do you normally get snow and they went oh good grief no we'd never heard of it before ridiculous We've had a very long winter and it's just never ending. And uh, last week it was really, really hot. Now suddenly we've been plunged back into winter again and it's snowing again. So that was a bit of a surprise. And I, and I was slightly concerned because I thought, well, hang on a minute. I've got all these um, miles to drive and all these lectures to do. What if there's a really bad series of um, snowfalls over the next few days? You know, is this going to stop me getting to places well, unfortunately, uh, it didn't. But when I actually picked up the car that Tuesday lunchtime and I was sitting in the car park, just kind of familiarising myself with the controls and so on, waiting to set off, there was quite a blizzard going on. It was quite heavy. And although the snow wasn't, didn't appear to be settling on the roads, it was all over parked cars and houses and, and hedgerows and so on. So it, it was slightly concerning. But fortunately, all turned out to be fine. Most of my tour certainly in the in the first few days was heading down south anyway so and the weather did improve and although over the over the week or so there was quite a lot of wet weather and one other day when there was a bit of snow basically that was the, that was as bad as it got on that first day so that was fine the um, the other thing happened to me was uh, I, I parked my car at one point in a residential road. I, I spent two nights staying with Bob Philen and his wife Sue, who very kindly put me up uh, for a couple of nights over the weekend. And unfortunately, I managed to, ignorance is, uh, is not bliss in this case, I managed to park next to a fire hydrant, which uh, I hadn't even noticed the fire hydrant, but apparently that's a very big no-no. So I, I ended up with a $100 fine because it's... Well, it's a traffic violation. And I was, it's funny because I was looking on the on the sheet and it listed all the things that you, you weren't allowed to do. And they tick the one that you've done on this occasion. And I was looking at all the others and most of them like $20, $30, $40. And then this one seemed to be one of the only ones that was $100. So this was the worst thing I could possibly have done. So that wasn't great. But hey, these things happen. 
But other than that, the, the traveling around went very, very well. And everywhere I went, I was given a tremendously uh, warm welcome. Very, everybody, see, all the magicians seemed really pleased to see me. They seemed to enjoy the magic that I had to show them, which was great. Uh, and I love lecturing anyway. And so it was a real privilege to be able to perform and explain my various um, ideas, which have come from eCloud Pro and which I put together as a live lecture. Lecturing is, is great fun because it's a, a, one of those opportunities to to explain the thinking behind some of the methods. Because I, I think that's one of the things that sometimes you, especially if you buy a, a product that's ready made and you watch a DVD or you read instructions or whatever, you, you get the final version. But you, you don't necessarily get a lot of the thinking ex expressed behind why the creator ended up doing it in that particular way and that's what I love about lecturing that you can you can explain these things and also you can have a whole load of fun we have a lot of laughs uh, and, and it's it's a very great way I think to to spend an evening chatting about magic showing magic uh, and having a good time with it so I'd like to thank if any of the people that I met are listening to this thank you so much for being so great to me um, I really enjoyed my uh, my tour and then after that, I went straight to 4Fs in New York State, the uh, close-up magic convention I go to every year. Um, they've had 48 of them now, and I've been to about 12 of them, I think. And it is just an amazing event. It's, it's almost like a club because the same people, it's restricted to about 200 to 250 people. So a lot of the people come from all around the world and they all meet just once a year at this amazing close-up convention. So you're meeting old friends. And, and for me this year, it was lovely because because I don't deal anymore sort of over the counter at conventions. It meant that I could relax, w watch the lectures, enjoy the shows uh, and just have a really nice chilled out time. So it was great. And uh, I shall hopefully be back again to do it all over again next year. Now, talking about lectures leads me to my next topic, which is about what the expectation is of people coming to watch a lecture. What do they actually expect to get out of it, if you like? Because I suspect that it probably varies from person to person. I expect there are some magicians who come along simply because they've heard of this particular lecturer and they want to see whether he's any good or not. Uh, they may have seen DVDs of him. They may have seen some stuff online, perhaps. But they want to see the guy in the flesh and see whether you know, he's he's as good as apparently they thought he was from what they'd seen online or on the DVDs. So there's a, there's a certain spectator sport element I think that comes into it. People just come to be to 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 see the person and also to be entertained because a lot of magic societies at times can be quite passive in the type of things that they put on. Yes, there are evenings where the members are expected to get up and perhaps do something or take part. But a lecture evening is not normally one of those. It's usually one of those things where they can just relax and sit back and, and passively enjoy whatever the lecturer has to show them. And so I think to have a, a, an entertaining lecturer, somebody who, who performs well and fluently and has a lot of fun with people, I'm sure a lot of people go just to be entertained. And then there will be others who think, yeah, I, I, I need to learn some new magic. I want to put some new material into my act or I want some new tricks to play with. 
because you know let's face it a lot of the magic that we we learn and that we half try we're never probably going to put it into our acts because it it perhaps doesn't suit us quite properly but it is an awful lot of fun just giving it a go isn't it and lectures are a great place i think for people to get some new material that they can try out because if a lecture is a proper lecture as opposed to a dealer dem usually the the props that you need are fairly either common things that you will have already or things that you can easily make and so there's a if there's a little bit of DIY involved perhaps you read some lecture notes oh I can make that up and then you make up the stuff then that can be quite fun too so I'm sure there's there's a lot of people who are, who are looking for tricks to play with or possibly if it is a very commercial lecture tricks that they can put into their act and then maybe there are others who think well you know to be honest I I have a lot of tricks I have books I have DVDs I I've got almost too many tricks what I want is background knowledge expertise I I want to learn what this guy knows about and it could be any elements it could be how to put together a stage act or how to be a good children's entertainer so in other words not the material itself but the the, the stuff behind that material the more nuts and bolts way of actually doing things and you can learn a lot and I think this is one of the things where a live lecture can really score because if you if you go along and and the lecturer is giving you some background information about how to be a good strolling magician or whatever then in a live situation of course you can ask the odd question and get answers that you've always wondered about something and I know with some of these online lectures you can do that too but of course you're relying on when you sent type in your your question it that then being given by the moderator to the lecturer at the time if it's a live broadcast and whereas with an actual one where you're sitting there and the lecturer standing in front of you even if you can't get your questions asked during the lecture in the interval or at the end you can often approach the lecturer and ask him then so i think that's where live lectures really do score so whatever you do whatever your reason for going to lectures do do support them because you the clubs try to give most clubs if they are have enough money try to put together a varied program and and for them of course especially when they have an outside lecturer or speaker coming in they really do want you to support them because only then does it justify the money they've spent on getting the person in there in the first place so if your club has got some live lectures don't be lazy get in your car go down there and see what that person has to offer you a lot of magicians i would suggest are happy with their lot in other words people who are just use magic as a pastime as a hobby are happy to dabble with little bits that they buy at conventions or ideas that they see at lectures or products that they've bought uh, online and are just happy to to fiddle around and play with those go down the magic club mix with their other fellow amateur magicians and so on but then there are others who are very ambitious and who see magic as a stepping stone to to fame and fortune not so sure about the fortune for most people but certainly you can get a certain amount of fame and those who seek out fame and fortune seeing the success that well established performers let's just say copperfield daniels in his heyday and dynamo and others like him at the moment seeing those uh, those people having their success you can 
be a little bit envious of the position that they've reached and and of course sometimes you you feel jealous of their success to the point where some people criticize the people at the top you know once they get there uh, up to the top people like to try and shoot them down a little bit but i think the problem that famous people have famous and this is not just magicians of course this is any celebrity or any politicians or anybody else when you're in the public eye it's not easy to be famous or to be well recognized i would think you hear about people don't you sports people in particular let's take david beckham as an example he started off just as a youngster just kicking a football around ended up as a, a virtually as a world recognized brand and that huge amount of attention that he gets every time he says anything or does anything puts an enormous pressure on him as an individual on his family he can't go anywhere without being recognized and i was thinking about this and the downside of this for for dynamo at the moment you know, he's it's been widely reported about his his current issues with his crohn's disease and for most of us if if we were in his position we would just sort of quietly sink into the background and and, and try and get it all sorted out privately and then come back out if you like and start doing shows again and face people when we had it a bit more under control but the problem for people like him is that he can't do that anymore because he's so well known that the press as soon as they hint they get a hint that there might be a story that they're, they're, they're on to it straight away and they're publishing pictures they're they're writing endless articles in magazines and newspapers and so on and even on television itself and so for dynamo he can't just sort of quietly deal with his situation it's all very public similarly with david copperfield at the moment and, and the lawsuit that he's that he's having to deal with the spectators claiming they've been injured when when going to shows and being used in some of his illusions it's not just something that is of no interest to anybody else suddenly it's all blown up completely out of proportion and he has to very publicly defend himself whatever the rights and wrongs of the situation it's it's made worse for him personally i i suspect because of who he is and i'm sure it's one of those things that when you're considering what it must be how wonderful it must be to be famous that you don't tend to take into consideration you tend to think of all the positive benefits and perhaps none of the negative ones the Mark Leverage Magic website has now been in existence, the current version, for at least, I would say, 10 years. And probably, as with all websites, it gets to a point where you think it perhaps needs to be looked at. And I've reached that point with mine. In fact, the nature of my business has changed in the last few years in any case, as I've gradually moved until, as I did last April, went completely digital. And so the needs that I have for, and the type of website that I need has also started to change. And at the centre of everything that I do now is eClub Pro, my online club. And this is set to become even more so because the website that I'm having uh, currently designed, which hopefully will be ready later this year, is going to have eClub Pro very much at the centre. At the moment, th th there's kind of the website and 
10%, if you like, is given over to eClub Pro, these things are going to be reversed round and the majority of it is going to be eClub Pro and the smaller part will be for people who are not members. So it's a really good time to consider if you're interested in the things that I that I produce in becoming a member of eClub Pro. eClub Pro has got over 600 pages of content already and it is updated and increased every month. So there's always something new and something interesting for you to enjoy and to um, and to use. Not just new magic, lots of advice and various other bits and pieces. And what I've done in the past is that when, when people come in to eClub Pro, all the time that they stay a member, then uh, with an unbroken membership, then the amount that they pay remains the same, even if the price for new people if for any reason it goes up and it does have to occasionally then once you're in on a particular price then it just stays at that price until you decide to leave if you then come back then obviously you would have to pay the current price so it's a good idea to for those people who've been in a long time and there are some people who've been in virtually from the beginning they um, they are still benefiting from lower prices than people who are coming in later on so if you haven't had a look at my my website and had a look at the what eclub pro has to offer i i would recommend that you you do that if if you like the, my type of magic because um members are going to be the ones who benefit from my creative output in the future and so to be a member of eclub pro is going to be increasingly important as you'll see when the when the new website comes into existence don't know how long it's going to be it's been done at the moment um, I'm, I'm thinking maybe September something like that but we'll see how it goes on the other day I was doing a table hopping booking at a very nice hotel about half an hour away from where I live it's quite an upmarket hotel and it has some very nice rooms there and as a result very nice events and I was booked to go and do table hopping for 120 people who were attending uh, a gentleman's 60th birthday party and it was all beautifully laid out it's a bit like a wedding actually it was all beautifully laid out tables and uh, looked like a very nice meal lots of entertainment going on of which I was part there were 120 people so and they were divided up on into 12 tables and it was a three course meal so obviously I had to get a bit of a move on in order to get round everybody and at one point, the, the, the top table, if you like, for one of a better way of putting it, where the birthday boy and his wife and their close friends and family were sitting, was table number two. And I wanted to make sure that the gentleman whose birthday it was, obviously, was sitting at the table when I went up to entertain them because it didn't make a lot of sense, I didn't think, for him not to be there. And, of course, the trouble is, because he's the birthday boy and he, want, he wants to mix with his guests... So he would, when he was eating, he was sitting down. But the moment he finished eating, he would jump up and he would wander off and go and stand and talk to people at one, at one table or talk to some friends. Then he'd move to another table. And then when the next course came, he'd come back and sit down. Well, because I don't perform when people are eating, but only in the gaps, every time he got to a gap, he went off. It was getting later and later in the evening. And I was thinking, you know, I was running out of tables. I'd done, I had about two or three left, one of which was his. 
So eventually I went up to the table and I and I said to his wife, I said, um, I'd love to entertain you. I said, but um, your husband's not here, is he? Oh, no, no, he's not. He said, oh, he, he loves to go off and wander and chat to everybody. So no, d- don't worry, don't, don't worry about our table. I said, well, I, I don't want to not entertain you. You know, you, you've booked me. <laughs> she said, no, no, really, honestly, we, what we really want you to do is to entertain our guests, which are doing fine. Don't worry about us. Don't do our table. He's not going to be here. There's, there's no point. We're, we're absolutely fine. Uh, just make sure you do all the others. So that's what I did. Uh, but it did feel odd not being able to entertain the people who booked you. And then I suddenly started to think about this. And I thought, actually, this happens quite a lot, particularly at weddings. The bride and groom are often very much in demand, aren't they? So if you're doing just the drinks reception, then often they are off with the photographer in the grounds if it's a hotel. On a couple of occasions, they've actually got in a vehicle and driven away to, to somewhere to have photographs taken at a picturesque spot that's nothing to do with the venue at all, leaving all the guests behind for an hour, an hour and a half. And of course, that's why they've booked you, as or me in this case, as the magician, is to go around and, and entertain people to keep them busy and to give them something interesting while the bride and groom are otherwise occupied. But it's kind of odd, isn't it? Because the bride and groom who've booked you and are paying you aren't actually there. You can't get hold of them. They're, they're always having important discussions or photographs taken in different groups. And, and lots of weddings, I end up not being able to entertain them. Sometimes you can, and if you're there during the meal and they're sitting down and they haven't done the speeches yet, so they're not running away, then you stand more of a chance. But certainly, when you just do the drinks reception uh, or the period after the end of the wedding breakfast and before the say the disco starts in the evening, getting to the people who've actually booked you, the bride and the groom, and showing them some magic is very difficult. And even if you can get to them, they they often. Um, are, are just very distracted because there are so many people on the day who want a bit of them. That's why they've come, of course. It's, it's to, you know, to be uh, part of the, the event with, with, with the bride and the groom and all the friends that are there to interact with them and so on. So it's totally natural. I understand that. But, but from the performer's point of view, uh, it's kind of odd that you can't actually grab and get the attention often of the very people who are actually paying you. Still, as long as they're happy with uh, you entertaining the guests and the guests are happy with what you've done, I suppose, in the final analysis, probably doesn't really matter. When you're first starting out in magic and you're very young, of course, there are lots of things to do with magic that you know little or nothing about. You know, we all basically start by just collecting tricks, learning techniques, perhaps, trying to be the best performer that we can be. But, of course, what we don't know necessarily is how to take those tricks and put them into an entertaining act, how to put together a presentation that people will want to watch, and just basically how to theme everything and make it into, if you're trying to do a complete act as opposed to just individual tricks, how to make them into a homogenous show that is pleasing to watch, has a good beginning, a a solid middle and a strong finish, and so on and so forth. And all these things, of course, we don't know. And quite often what will happen is, especially if you go to a magic convention and uh, other older magicians see you performing, you often get one or two of these older guys who will come over to you as a youngster and they'll start telling you what you did wrong and explaining how you could have done it better. And with the best will in the world, even if you 
actually think, well, I don't know everything and I, and I should listen, and you try to listen, there is a certain element of you that feels slightly miffed that somebody's criticising what you've done when you feel that you've put a lot of effort into it and you're trying your best. And then gradually you, you get more and more experience uh, and you get older and you do more, you stay in magic for a long time, then of course you build up a huge database of your own of experiences. And so all of a sudden you find yourself being in a position of knowing a lot more than the young magicians who are coming on sort of behind you, as it were. And now you're sitting and you're watching these youngsters performing. You're thinking, ah, no, you see, if you only you did it like this, that, that would be so much better. And if you're not careful, you find yourself going up to a youngster and saying, you know what you should do? And then you do exactly to them what you resented when the older guys did it to you. And I was thinking about this is very selfish of young people in a way, isn't it? Fancy not wanting the advice. I don't think it's that. I've come to realise that if the advice is asked for, so if somebody with less experience actively says to you, what can I do to improve this? Or what did you think of this? And then you give the advice. Because they have asked for it, then they are hopefully open to the suggestions that you might make. Where it doesn't work so well, perhaps, in some cases, is where you go along and you give the advice to somebody who hadn't actually asked for it. Because they may not be in the right place, if you like, mentally, to take any criticism as they would see it. You, you just think it's helpful advice. They may see it as a criticism. Uh, it may not do their confidence any good. Um, and because they haven't asked for the advice and they haven't asked for feedback and you've given it to them anyway, it can produce a, perhaps a little bit of resentment. And, and I think that's the thing. That's why if, if advice is asked by a, a less experienced performer, it's fine to give it. But if they haven't, then maybe we should only think our thoughts and let them find out for themselves if they don't actually ask in the first place. OK, so here's a contentious statement. Why are there so many terrible magicians around? Now, no matter what you feel about your own standard, there are always going to be others, maybe at the Magic Club, maybe who you see performing at conventions. You think to yourself, God, this person is useless. Why are they so bad? And it is a bit peculiar, isn't it, that there does seem to be a relatively high level of relative incompetence amongst magicians and in a way it's hard to understand until you realize that of all the performance arts magic is the most accessible one it's the easiest to get started with i mean you think about music you can't just pick up a violin and make do you can't just sit at a piano and bang a few keys and it'll it'll be passably okay if you're a juggler, you can't just take five balls and within a few minutes expect to be juggling them all in the air. If you're a singer, then without any training and without extensive, perhaps even voice coaching, you're never going to make perhaps a great singer. But magic? Well, you can buy a trick. It can be virtually self-working. So in terms of actually making the trick happen, you can do it. 
It may not be entertaining in the way you do it. It may not be that good, but you can achieve it literally from the word go. And the dealers are partly to blame. We we dealers, we're to blame. We, we try to find easy ways for tricks to work. The easier, the better in some cases. That's certainly the impression that you get. And the reason is because we know there are a lot of people out there who want to dabble in magic, who don't want to practice, who don't want to put a lot of effort. They're never going to be very good, but they love it and they enjoy it. Absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. But I think that's why there are so many bad magicians out there. It's because it's easy to get started. Now, I'm not saying it's it's easy to become very good at it. Of course it isn't. But at the bottom entry level, it surely must be, you know, a ventriloquist. You can't, you can't even begin to do it unless you've got some knowledge of technique. But magic, you really can, can't you? And in fact, people are encouraged, lay people are encouraged to, can you show, lay people sometimes say to you, don't they, can you show me something really easy that I can show my friends? Because that's the attitude that lay people have to magic. Oh, well, it's, it's actually basically simple. You just have to know how it's done. And so that's probably why there is a, there is a way that you could say that there are a lot of bad magicians out there because it's just so easy to get into it all. Well, thank you so much for, for listening to the to the last half an hour. I hope you've enjoyed the June podcast. I shall uh, be back again with some more topics for you next month. In the meantime, have a great month. Bye for now.